Hello imaginative people, I'm Anna Tizard and this is episode 41 of Brainstorium. Well, in the last few shows I've been doing some in-depth story brainstorms, taking the word game of Exquisite Corpse to extremes by using the pause button quite a lot to see if I can develop each story idea just that little bit more away from the microphone. I think this has been working really well, and I hope you agree. But as ever, this is an experimental, exploratory show, and I want to see if I can push things even further. So today, it is with slight trepidation that I've decided to try and come up with and develop one story based on one exquisite corpse, and just see how far I can take it. What I might do, if I get stuck along the way, is try for a second exquisite corpse for guidance and direction as to what might happen next, but continuing the same story. As you can imagine, this will be a little bit risky as I pull words at random to create these writing prompts. But, call me bonkers, I'm determined to have a go at sticking with one story today come what may. And I say today, but of course, I'll be using the pause button again and taking a lot more time than the half hour slot that this show ends up being. Wish me luck. These story brainstorms have definitely helped kept my imagination limber in between the admin of publishing a book. And yes, by the time this show is released, Portals and Immortals, my newest book, and first anthology of short stories inspired by these word games will be out in ebook and paperback from pretty much anywhere you can buy books. If it's not physically there in a bookshop, you can order it. In fact, if you'd like to get a copy for free and would like to help me out as an author at the same time, please consider ordering it from your local library. If you do that, you're actually doing me an extra favour because then the book becomes part of the library's collection and after you've read it, someone else will have the opportunity to discover it and read it too when they might not otherwise have found it online. So please consider getting yourself a free copy of Portals and Immortals by ordering it from your local library. Now, it is time for our story brainstorming challenge. It will probably get slightly bizarre and and funny at times, hopefully entertaining, but I also hope you'll find some inspiration in there somewhere. Let's see what lies in wait for us in The Socks of Destiny. Right, and as regular listeners will know, Exquisite Corpse mixes words and phrases into a sentence that goes... Describing word noun, action, describing word noun. And I'm using words sent by lovely people such as yourself who send me these words via my play page at anatizar.com. Of course, I jot them down and put them into the three socks of destiny. So our first word is from Alessandro Pozzo. Devious. Ooh, I like that word. We're off to a good start, I reckon. So let's get our first 
noun, which is from Paul Thomas, a regular player. Parapet. Ooh, so that is, I, I actually, I jotted this around the edge of the, of the notes just in case I forgot. It's a low protective wall along the edge of a roof or balcony or bridge. And I had not known before I looked it up that you could, it, it could be the low bitter along a bridge. So this is why I look up words I already know the meaning of in case there's things I've forgotten. So let's get an action. This is from bird underscore Murphy. <laughs> Licked. Okay. We have a challenge on our hands. I have no idea how I'm going to use this word, but let's just keep going and see what happens. So the next describing word, moving on swiftly, is demure. Hmm. Okay. And our final word from the noun sock is from Andy Burroughs. Cerebus. <laughs> okay, again, I wrote a note for myself around the edge because I had to look up cerebus. I didn't know what this meant. This is a multi-headed dog in Greek mythology that guards the gates of the underworld to stop the dead from leaving full-time job. Okay, <laughs> I'm almost frightened to read this out now, but I must move on. So, the devious parapet licked <laughs> the demure cerebus. Of course it did. Um, actually, I, I do really like the idea of a devious parapet that a building or part of a building could be devious is quite curious to me. It's rather interesting. Um, skipping over the middle part, <laughs> which I will find a way to deal with in, a, in just a moment, I'm sure. Um, just need a little bit of time. Uh, the demure cerebus, that seems to me a bit of an oxymoron. I mean, you have a multi-headed dog guarding the, the land of the dead, and yet it's demure. This is rather difficult to put together. I'm wondering, but I can't avoid it forever. The glaring problem with this exquisite corpse is surely the action. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, who is it? Bird underscore Murphy for this bizarre edition of licked. Um, I mean, I think obviously I can't use the common meaning of the word licked because surely the sentence is the wrong way around because a multi-headed dog has many opportunities to lick anything, whether or not it's a devious parapet. But how can a devious parapet lick or <laughs> a dog? Okay, so what I'm going to do is I've got my trusty dictionary here, my Oxford dictionary. And yes, I am going to look up a word I already know the meaning of, which I do quite a lot, just in case, you know, there's something I've overlooked, not overlooked, um, some common meaning, because quite often in the context, you might forget something. Um, so let's just see if this gives us 
a way around the word licked. <laughs> okay, so besides the normal meaning, um, to move to move lightly and quickly like a tongue, uh, informal to defeat comprehensively. Um, a place where animals come to lick salt. Well, that's a noun. We kind of need we need a verb. Um, also, it can mean a short phrase or solo in jazz or popular music. <laughs> okay, that's not going to work. Or, of course, informal, a smart blow. Right. So we have violence, potentially. But a short, sharp blow, a smack. Can a parapet do that? What about a devious parapet? But why? Why did the devious parapet smack the multi-headed dog? <laughs> Sounds like a bad Christmas cracker joke to me. Okay, let me just think about this. Okay, need to think about this. I think it's time for some green tea, I reckon. Give that a bit of a stir. The dog cowered under the bridge. Rain patted its uneven rhythm on the stones above him and pockmarked the rushing river at his feet, drowning out his whimpers. He couldn't go back. He could just imagine his brothers and sisters' growls at the knowledge that their demure little brother had finally scarpered. Flashlights swung over the riverbank and he squeezed his three heads under the bridge. The army wouldn't unleash his siblings in case this was part of a trick to distract their most prized monsters from guarding the gates of the dead. Serapis shuddered. He had no desire to unlock those doors. He'd only ever heard the moans and the cries of the dead within. Sometimes, even worse, was the silence. What he wanted more than anything else was to find the world of the living. Sensing the search party at his back, he had jumped under the bridge rather than over it, hoping they'd run straight past him and lose him. But he was Cerebus. He had more than enough mouths, more than enough teeth to tear his pursuers apart. The truth was, he sickened at violence. Besides, the men and monsters who clattered over the bridge had weapons and they weren't afraid, like him, to use them. How awful it would be if, in his final attempt to escape, he ended up not just back at the gates, but behind them, nothing but a ghost. The rumble of footsteps faded. Cerebus waited, straining to hear any other sign. The rain spattered on. Sometimes it sounded like footsteps, but he was probably imagining things. Eventually, his eyelids drooped. Then... A crash. A lump of broken stonework splashed into the water. Part of the parapet on the bridge. Cerebus just managed to hold back a cry of surprise. But what was this? 
Standing in front of him was a stick, a long thin branch from a tree. It stood shaking the water off its single leg and a second limb that might have been an arm unfurling from its side. Two eyes beheld him in the dark. Help me! It was the stick Cerebus's brothers and sisters had played with. Teeth marks hooked into its jagged side where they chewed and tossed it back and forth. But Cerebus had never known that it was alive. Unless it had only come alive after falling or having been thrown just beyond the courtyard where the three-headed dogs all played and fought and guarded. The irony of the countryside surrounding the land of the dead was that the most unexpected things could come alive when they touched the ground. And what about the bridge whose parapet had given way not to the heavy men and beasts clattering over it with weapons, but to a stick? What did it mean? I'm quite enjoying this idea. It feels like the beginning of a journey full of danger and near misses, a chase. Perhaps the land itself is devious, not just the parapet. The energy of the place, the outskirts of the land of the dead, ironically giving life to inanimate objects. Could I do something more with that weird little detail? But I'll admit, I'm not quite sure where to take the story next, other than just a chase or a difficult journey full of obstacles as the multi-headed Cerebus and his new companion, a living stick, try to escape beyond these lands and get through some kind of outer wall or other barrier that separates them from the land of the living. I wonder what that would look like. Almost anything could happen during that time. And I know that if you, if every listener to the show had a go at writing the next part, each one would be a completely different interpretation. Pick a monster, any monster, or another another evil character, or just an idea for physical obstacles they might come across, psychological obstacles even. So right now it's feeling kind of vague in my mind and I'm struggling to make a choice about the details of this journey and what's going to happen next. So wisely or unwisely, I think I'm going to try another exquisite exquisite course just to see if this can give me some guidance, a little clue as to what is going to happen. This is risky, of course, because it might throw in something completely unrelated. But we'll make it related. Are you with me? Let's give it a go. Our first word is from Robin the male lady. Warped. Okay. <laughs> That's quite a good word. I like that. Let's try a noun. What or who is warped? This is from Janet Anthony Buck. Bumblebee. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to judge. I'm just going to keep going. See what happens. For our action words, we've got a 
a word or phrase from Stephanie Dargon Luter. Shoved. Okay. Mild violence. Once again. Interesting. Uh, next word is from Paul Thomas. Terrified. Okay. Terrified will do quite nicely. And finally, from Alessandro Bozzo, Fangtooth. <laughs> okay. So like a canine. Hmm. Let's have a look at this. I'll just read the whole thing out. Slightly concerned about the bee, but let's just go with it. The warped bumblebee shoved the terrified fangtooth. Okay, well with shoved, so that's a physical threat, intimidation, but from a bumblebee, a warped bumblebee. I quite like that idea. That's, that's, I think that's weird enough for today. Fangtooth though, the terrified fangtooth. It could always be the name of a character. Could fangtooth be the nickname of Cerebus? Or perhaps another character that he and the stick meet, someone to help them or someone to hinder them? I'm not sure, but the bee is giving me an idea. Cerebus, actually Fangtooth, slunk through the shadows of the moor, shuffling close to the mounds in the lumpy earth to try and stay hidden. The stick hopped along at his side, tiny but quite noisy, as it seemed almost constantly breathless with fear. By the time they'd crept to the edge of the forest, the sky was lightening to a pre-dawn blue, but the glow was, was soon blotted out by the almost unbroken canopy. Feeling safer under the thick cover of darkness, Fangtooth galloped through the wood with Stick clinging to his back. Once he heard the clatter of armoury behind them. He swerved to the right, heading deeper into the trees, though it gave him a pang to turn away from the glint of sunlight he'd seen straight ahead that had been growing slowly bigger. There were more fallen leaves here, not so much visible as a damp shuffling sound. Fangtooth had to slow down, padding between them as best he could in case the noises should give them away. Stick was silent, a small wooden pincer on his back, clinging between its leg and arm. With the slow creeping dawn, a mist rose from the ground. Twice, Fangtooth skidded to a halt, believing he'd seen a ghost, a figure rippling from a white gust of air like a warning. Why have we stopped? Stick whispered into one of Fangtooth's ears. Fangtooth shook himself, but not too hard. He didn't want to send the poor thing flying and set off at a pace, weaving through the trees. We haven't, was all he whispered. He recalled a map he'd seen of the area, showing how the forest tapered diagonally in this direction into a long, ragged triangle shape. If they had carried on straight from the beginning, they'd be out in the open now, on the other side. But that meant exposure. This way would take them longer to reach the forest's edge, but it also meant that when they got there, they'd be able to look back and see if any of those mercenaries had followed. 
But then what? What lay beyond the forest was neither featured in the map nor ever spoken about. The idea that someone would ever want to know was considered utterly stupid. Your place is in the land of the dead with us, his sister Longclaw used to say whenever Fangtooth whined. But does that mean we're already dead? Fangtooth would ask, his insides tangled like spaghetti at the very thought. But Longclaw laughed and said, you just don't get it, do you? After a time, Fangtooth began to doubt whether Longclaw or any of the others really understood either. All they knew was duty. It was their identity, all they had. Perhaps that was why they clung to it and denied all else. Daylight illuminated the forest. The trees were thinning and Fangtooth could see fields emerging in the gaps ahead. He stopped and sat on a pile of leaves. Do you want to get down now? He said to the trembling stick on his back. What happened? Is this it? Where are we? Said Stick as he slid down Fangtooth's neck onto the ground. Are we in the land of the living yet? For such a small light thing, you have a lot of questions, said Fangtooth, meaning to tease him gently. But he realised as he said it, he didn't feel like teasing anymore. He slumped his middle head onto his paws and the others lolled on the ground either side. I don't even know if we can get there. What? squeaked Stick. Hush, Fangtooth raised a head. Keep it down. Hey, why don't you go ahead and take a look? You're less noticeable than I am. Just see if anyone's followed us. Wait there a short while as well, just to be certain. Then come back and tell me, okay? And whatever you do, don't squeak. Yes, sir. Any more orders? Stick bowed sarcastically before bouncing off on his delicate leg. Fangtooth sighed and wristed his middle head back down again. Minutes passed. A breeze picked up and stirred the leaves on the forest floor. Fangtooth stared at an orange leaf sticking out from under his paw. The colour seemed brighter than before. Had the sun moved? Still there was no sign of stick. He got up, stretched his aching muscles and tiptoed to the edge of the forest. He blinked, confused by the light that blazed from the ground. Flowers, white and yellow, wavered from tall stems, a thousand petals reflecting the midday sun. The smell was sweet, honeyed, like the memory of a perfect summer day. On stepping out, he'd fully intended to scour the rolling hillside to his left for any sign of their pursuers, but why bother? The sweet, heavy perfume dragged at his legs. He ached to lie down. Besides, he couldn't see anything over the heads of the flowers, and now he was slumped in the cool grass. Surely wouldn't, no one could see him from over there. He closed his eyes and let the sunshine stroke his long noses. All three of them. What are you doing? Stick pestered him with a sharp jab in his side. Oh, leave me be. Let's rest here for a while, can't we? This is so nice. The soft hum of bees was lulling him to sleep. Are you joking? said Stick, though Fangtooth could hear a trace of weariness in his companion's voice. This is dodgy. This has got to be a trick. Fangtooth didn't open his eyes, but he could hear Stick clumsily shoving the grasses about, searching for trouble. 
There is something paranoid about that fussy little branch, thought Fangtooth. Just relax, he blew out a sigh. The hum of a bee meandered closer, buzzing a Z sound. Stick had gone quiet. Fangtooth opened half an eye. A thick mass of black, striped fur hovered over the flowers. Fangtooth winced at the size of it, the size of that hooked sting. Wary now, he opened all his eyes, though the weight of weariness still dragged at his very skin. There was something weird about this place. Why would he feel this tired? And those bees, there were three of them now. Four, no, five, hovering too close. Their hums intermingled like half-spoken words. Z and sweet, they seemed to say. Get away, cried Stick from somewhere among the tall stems. Fangtooth couldn't see him, but that might be because a massive bumblebee had just landed on his middle nose. Fangtooth huffed and waggled his head. His other heads rose either side and he blew at the bee. The creature let go but hovered just above him. Black beady eyes regarded him from a ball of fuzz, murmuring all the time. Sweet release, it seemed to say, as the other bees gather, gathered around it. Where had Fangtooth heard that phrase before? The sweet release of death? Is that what this place was? Some kind of in-between realm where the dead first arrived? A delicious, dreamy moment before they were transported beyond. Over here, Stick's voice squeaked from somewhere ahead. I think I've found a way through. Fangtooth didn't need telling twice. Keeping his heads low, he dashed forwards underneath the black cloud of bees, blundering heads first into the stems. Where are you? he cried. Over here, it's some kind of tunnel under the ground. I think it goes somewhere. Fangtooth leapt forwards, ignoring the swipe of grasses and stems across his eyes. Sweet release, the bees bumbled ahead jostling in a thick mass. Fangtooth's paws scrambled on rough ground. It dipped downwards sharply, but he let himself tumble, hoping that the bees couldn't or wouldn't follow down this dark hole. Dimly, he saw the spiky outline of stick up ahead and a greyish light as well. Where were they? Let it be anywhere but sweet release. A rush of noise hit him as he skidded to a halt. The ground was grey and flat, man-made. Walls rose sharply either side of them, also grey. The smell of rotting garbage emerged from a large plastic container. They were in an alleyway. A few steps forward and Fangtooth was transfixed by the world on the other side. Everywhere the ground was made of flat grey strips, pavements on which humans strode past each other staring anywhere but at each other, at the ground or at shiny slabs of dark plastic they held in their hands. Coloured metal boxes on wheels rolled past. There was movement everywhere. The buzzing in the background was no longer the heavy hum of bees, but a changeable, metallic hum. Lifeless. But wasn't this the land of the living? His nerves twitching at the thought of those bees Fangtooth glanced behind him. 
Where a wall should have been, a blurry-edged tunnel still showed, an otherworldly opening to what lay beyond. Sweet release and the land of the dead. A white, misty shape emerged, then another, sending a thrill of cold down Fangtooth's back. He cowered against the wall as they whisked past. Stick! Stick, what's going on? Frantically, he glanced around for his tiny companion. But Stick was no longer a ragged brown branch. Like their surroundings, he turned a dark shade of grey. A pile of shredded bark lay at his foot, which was no longer a wooden foot, but the end of a key. A shiny, smiling key. What's going on? said Fangtooth. Why do you look so different? I want to thank you for giving me safe passage out of the world of the dead, it said. It was as if all the fear had melted from it, as easily as it had shed that layer of bark. You're not a stick, are you? How very perceptive of you, said the key, taking a bow that dripped with sarcasm. All this time as a guardian of the gates, and you don't even know a key when you see one. Fangtooth yelped as another ghost floated past them into the street. What's happening? What's all this about? The key grinned. I unlocked the gates of the dead. And you, Fangtooth, have helped me get away. Not only have you failed in your legendary duty, you have changed the path of humanity forever. No longer will the magic of those lands be separate from the earthbound energies of the land of the living. At last, the two worlds collide. A shriek came from the street ahead, then an outright scream. At last, the uprising of ghosts. Why? Why are you doing this? What does it all mean? Because when the two worlds come together, chaos rules. And then it's my turn to rule them both. Got to have a twist. Always, I love a twist. So that's as far as I'm going to take it for today. Fangtooth made it to the land of the living, but his troubles have only just begun. He was a guardian of the land of the dead. Now he finds himself with no other choice, no noble choice that is, than to become a guardian of the land of the living. Although guarding it, protecting it, actually means leading people into a war of a kind they've never seen before. Oh, he escaped, but straight into a nightmare. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's story and that it's given you some ideas to play with. What might happen next? Or how else might you take any story idea, something you've come up with completely separately and turn the protagonist's sole desire, sole goal, into the worst possible thing that could happen and the beginning of a much bigger situation that they have to deal with now that they've got what they want. Be careful what you wish for. This is a story trope that goes way beyond the genre of fantasy. It can be used in any type of story. Lots to think about. So, until next time, go forth and be inspired. 
hope you enjoyed today's brainstorium. You can find out more about Exquisite Corpse and my series, The Book of Exquisite Corpse, at anatizard.com. Subscribe to my e-newsletter and you'll get volume one for free. And while you're there, why not submit a few words to the Socks of Destiny on my play page? You may inspire me or inspire yourself to write a unique new story. See you next time.